The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Okay, so moving on now, I want to get into the Word. Now, we finished up a series last week that was I, I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too, where we, we stayed in the Word uh, as it concerns uh, God giving us direction and what that direction looks like. Now, uh, if you missed parts of that series or if you missed that series, you can find it online there. Uh, it was really important to us as we're being led by the Spirit of God to know how the Spirit of God leads. I mean, what the voice of God sounds like, what it's going to consist of, and how we can uh, uh, know that we're following after his direction when we're making choices and decisions. Uh, we closed that off last week, and now this week I want to talk to you about something that I think is really important for all of us, uh, and I want to get into that uh, quickly. And this is not going to be a series, at least it's not to my knowledge at this point, but I want to get into the Word this morning because I believe that this is an important message uh, for us with the calling and the anointing that God's given us. I mean, at some point you've got to realize that you've got a ministry, uh, the purpose of your Christianity is not just to pluck you out of the fires of hell, but you've been empowered to do the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're the body of Christ to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth today. Now, the way church is structured, where you have pastors and staff and then you have members, is really not God's design. Uh, unfortunately, that's just not the case. The reality is God has empowered Christians to function and operate together, unified, uh, relying on one another through the gifts and the anointings to do the work of Jesus Christ as he would direct. And that's really you and I. When I look around this room, I see everything that we need to see revival poured out in the city of Abilene. I mean, and then uh, outside of Abilene and throughout the world. I mean, but let's start right here and let it spill over and do wonderful things. God's given us everything we need. And what we're going to find today, I think, is something that's absolutely important for us as we move forward in the ministry and the calling that God has placed on each one of us and as he's placed on us together. So here's a few things we're going to find in the Word. I like to share these things so that you can look forward to them, so that I can look forward to them as we go through the Scripture. Uh, we're going to find out these first things really quickly as we jump right in. But, but the first thing we're going to find is uh, what those who follow Jesus will have. What those who follow Jesus will have. There's a promise in the scripture that if we follow Jesus, we'll have something. Uh, another thing that we're going to find as we get into the word is how to lead other people into glorifying God. How to lead other people into glorifying God. Now, there's a lot of man-made methods. There are things that we've done to try to evangelize, you know, I mean, pamphlets and tracts and things like that. And, but, but yet God has a design in his word. If we'll look in his scripture and we'll live according to the design that he has established, we will naturally lead people into glorifying God. We'll naturally draw them to God. And it's not through man-made programs or anything like that. I got news for you. No man is going to create a better system of drawing people unto them than God has established in Jesus. And the instruction for how we live our lives is meant to be a magnet for those who are in the world to be drawn into the kingdom. We're going to find out how to lead people into glorifying God. And then a third thing that we're going to find as we get into the word is what every Christian uh, needs in order to know the power of God. What every Christian needs in order to know the power of God. Now, some of you may be jumping ahead and thinking, I know what that is. You, you might not. You might not know where we're going. What every Christian needs in order to know the power of God in their lives. 
So I want to get right in. I mentioned to you the first thing we're going to find is what those who follow Jesus will have. We're going to find that just right here, straight out of the chute. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. Now, as you turn there, I want to just ask you, are you ready and willing to receive something this morning? I mean, do you feel like you could learn something this morning in God's Word? I mean, I do. When every time we get into the Word, I don't feel like it's my job to come in here and educate. I feel like it's, it's my job to lead and be, know where God's taking us, and us means me and you, and then let's get there. I mean, I'm learning stuff all the time. I learned yesterday that I shouldn't mess with my wife. <laughs> I, she said, you just now learned that? I shouldn't mess with my wife. Uh, we, we had the opportunity to, to take a course that involved uh, some, some shooting and things like that. And, and so we're standing there, and, and I'm shooting, and I hear her shooting in this, this lane that's next to me. And it's like, this is my dream date, right? It's like, hey, man, this is awesome. Out with my honey, and she's shooting a gun, and this is great. And, and, you know, there's a guy there who's giving some instruction and some training, and he's, he's helping her do some things. And then, you know, I hear, bang. Bang, 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 bang. And I kind of look over at her target, and they're all just right there. And, and the trainer leans over, and he taps me, and I pull my ear protection back, and he says, don't make her mad, man. <laughs> so I learned something yesterday. So, but we can learn. We're, 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 we're made to learn. I mean, it's God who's unchanging. Now, his promise to perfect us means that we're constantly changing. And I want us to come into to our church services, to our, our discipleship meetings with that mentality. I'm, I'm here to receive something that's going to change my life forever. So we're here in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. I want to look at verse 12. Now remember what we're looking for here is we're going to find out what those who follow Jesus will have. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. In verse 12, he says these words uh, specifically. Now it opens up and it says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I mean, I could sit and speculate as to what the light of life actually is or means, but I don't think there's anyone in the room that says, you know, I'll pass on that. That sounds pretty nice to me. To have the light that consists of all life, to not stumble around in the darkness where anxiety and fear and all of these things that, that are detrimental to our well-being abide, but to have the light that leads to the abundant life that Jesus called us to. Now, it's an interesting thing when you consider this passage of Scripture. I mean, I like to read the words, and then I like to look at the words. I mean, I can read through it, and if I'm, if I'm not careful, I don't know how you are, and I don't presume to know how you are, but I can read straight through things like a bulldozer. And it never makes any sense to me unless I stop and look at the individual words. You know, Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I'm the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think it's interesting that that whole concept, <clears throat> excuse me, pivots on one action. Jesus is declaring who he is. He's the light of the world. And he's also declaring the result of, 
of what will come to pass should an action be performed or should something take place. And that's that you and I or those who perform this action will have the light of life. Everything that makes up who he is as the light of the world. And then that action that stands in the middle, that's, that's the, the real point that you have to catch. I mean, that's really the thing that makes the difference between walking in the light of life or walking in darkness. And it's following Jesus. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when I read that passage of scripture, it's easy to get so distracted by the promise that you miss out on the instruction. Where if we only catch the promise and we never focus on the instruction, then we end up uh, seeking after something in vain. Maybe we stumble on it accidentally. But we can intentionally see what the instruction is and apply it to our lives and begin to get the result on purpose. The result being the light of life abiding in our lives, walking in the light of Jesus Christ. And according to this, receiving that promise is the result of this simple action, following Jesus. Now, I mean, I can sit and just ponder that. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and it's good to keep things really practical. I mean, have you ever followed someone? Maybe in traffic, you know, they cut you off and you want to let them know who's boss. And so, you, yeah, okay, well, let's not go to dark places, right? Let's, have you, what, what does it mean to follow someone? If you follow someone, what, what's, what are the conditions of following someone? Well, without making it, you know, too challenging or spending too much time on that, because we have other ground to cover, in, in, in my mind, as I think about following something, one of the conditions is they have to be in front of me. I can't follow someone if they're beside me, and I can't follow someone if they're behind me. I can only follow them if they're in front of me. So as I'm thinking about this and the promise of, of the light of life and the requirement to follow Jesus, I come to the understanding, okay, well, if this is going to happen in my life, if I'm going to walk outside of darkness and have the light of life, then I need to keep Jesus in front of me. And there's all kinds of ways we can do that. I mean, it, relationally in our prayer life, in the word, keeping Jesus in front of you. But putting Jesus at the head of everything that you're doing. Now, I mean, it might sound like a silly trend, but do you remember the old, like, what would Jesus do bracelets, right? Well, I mean, trends come and go, but the point behind that was really something that would be really powerful if every Christian caught that. If that were a question that were asked in every situation or under every circumstance, you know, how would Jesus handle this and that's what I'm going to do? And in my opinion, that's putting Jesus in front of you so that you can then therefore follow him. Well, this promise of Jesus being the light and then making this light available to us uh, continues throughout the scripture. I mean, Jesus makes this promise. Now, this is an interesting promise to me. And you can take it down for your notes. John chapter 9, verse 5. John chapter 9, verse 5. Now, it, it might not, you know, mean a whole lot when we just read it at first, but I want to couple this with a, a passage of Scripture uh, out of Matthew here in a moment. Jesus makes this statement to us. He says, while I am in the world. Now, you can just stop there and realize that this is a, a conditional thing. While I'm in the world. He goes on to say, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's a really interesting thing to think that there's a condition upon that. 
While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. If Jesus isn't in the world, where does the light go? I mean, it's gone. He's revealing something. He's revealing that, that there's not another source of light. It's not, hey, listen, while I'm in the light of the world, I'm the strongest source. But when I'm gone, humanity has a little bit going for it. So if I am gone, if you take me out of the picture, then, you know, things will get tougher, but you'll get by. What he's saying is, I'm the, as long as I'm here, there's light. The moment that I'm cut out of the picture, darkness, period. You won't find any source of light outside of Jesus, period. There is no humanity that can bring about light into any situation or circumstance. Simply Jesus. Now, Jesus made this statement, and it's something that I think we ought to pay attention to in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, I want to look at verses 14 and 16. And really and truly, I have no problem reading the passages that we earlier read, right? I am the light of the world. I mean, I see that and I think, that's true, no problem. Hallelujah. All day long, I can declare that Jesus is the light of the world. And then in Matthew, Jesus has to say something that completely makes my brain, you know, throw on the brakes. When he's declaring that he's the light of the world, the one who's cleansing the lepers, and the one who's healing the sick, and the one who's casting out devils, and the one who's never, ever, ever bombed a message, but just preaches all of the word of God in the fullness of truth and power, this guy saying he's the light of the world, I got no issue with that. And then in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 14, he has to go and just wreck things when he says, you are the light of the world. You, you who fight scummy thoughts, you who lied yesterday, you who cheated on that thing, you are the light of the world. Now when he's saying he's the light of the world, the guy that walks on water, nobody has an issue with that. I mean, you go and you walk across the Sea of Galilee and we're good. You're the light of the world. But then me, who, you know, well, he had a really nasty fight with his wife, and then you should have seen the stuff he was thinking. If you could look on the heart like I can look on the heart, you'd never put that guy in charge. I mean, that, that's a whole other situation. That guy being called the light of the world now is, is, is a little like, I don't know if I can handle that. But we need to understand why this is the case. I mean, I, I'm kind of a mechanical thinker, you know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a process. People think differently. So i like to know why. I mean, why is that? I mean, Jesus made this declaration that he's the light of the world. I have no issue. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. And now I'm kind of concerned. But when he made that declaration that as long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world, we need to understand that Jesus continues to be in the world through you and through me. When we become believers and we're now bought by the blood of Jesus and we've got the Spirit of God inside of us, abiding in us, we're functioning and operating in the same calling and function and anointing by faith that Jesus would function and operate in. It's the wonder and the power of the grace of God. It's a marvelous thing to consider that everything that is Jesus Christ is inside of me operating in the world. And he who would say, I am the light of the world, can now look to me and to you and say, you are the light of the world. He goes on to say things concerning light in Matthew. We just read the first passage there beginning in 14. 
He says, you are the light of the world, a city set on top of a hill which cannot. Will you just say cannot? Okay, now listen, that's important to me, cannot. Not should not, but cannot be hidden. It goes on to say things like, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or put a lamp on a lampstand. It should give light to the whole house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now earlier I told you we were going to find a few things and, and we, we covered the first one. The thing that a believer receives when they follow Jesus. The, the light of life. Then that second one was how to lead people to glorify God. And you'll see it right here in the passage. As Jesus is declaring that you are now the light of the world. That we are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. That nobody lights a light to hide it, but yet it's made to illuminate the room. He goes on to say that let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I mean, we're meant to live in such a way that people are drawn to God. Let your light shine in such a way. Now, I'm not a huge fan of assignments and homework and things like that. Well, let's, who am I kidding? I love it. But I would kind of encourage us to, to underline that, that little section. Let your light shine in such a way. Take that statement and introduce it into your prayer life and say, Father, what is such a way for me? Will you show me? Will you show me what I'm doing right? Will you show me what I'm doing wrong? But that simple passage that I am called to let my light shine in such a way. Will you teach me everything there is to know about that? That I would know what such a way is. That the result would be the most natural occurrence in any human being's life. The result that people see what I'm doing and are drawn to glorify your name. And if we can catch this as a church, you can throw all of your evangelism programs and projects out the window. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trashing them. I'm not saying if you hand out tracts that that's bad or something like that. I'm just saying that there's a, there's a simple way that we're called to live. The Jesus inside of us, the light that exists in us, is meant to be revealed and released in such a way that when people see it, they're drawn to glorify God. I want that. I mean, desperately want that. And let me just ask you this. I mean, you're under no religious obligation, so don't answer this, but don't you want that? I mean, what if the people in this room right here were to have that such a way revealed to them? And then out of the anticipation and, and the hunger and the desire to, to function and operate in that pleasing way to God, we lived out our lives in that such a way. And all of a sudden, everything we did drew people closer to God, drew people into the kingdom just by the way we live our life. Now, there's a reason why this works. Again, I mentioned I'm a little mechanical, so you could offer it as this simple promise. Hey, listen, God's showing us a way that if we live according to, to his way, it draws people to him. I mean, we could end the message there, and it would be a positive and exciting message. But I want to know, well, why? Why does it do that? How does that work? The reason why I want to know how it works is because it is encouraging to me to understand that the process has uh, some, some reason behind it. And it does. 
Light does something incredible. When we live our lives in such a way that the light that is inside of us is revealed to others in such a way, revealed meaning it's released, excuse me, it's, it's sent out in such a way, it does something. When light is sent out, it accomplishes something. Now, I mean, you could even just take the room, for example. There's a series of light bulbs that are burning right now. And they're creating an effect. The effect is you can see. Now, I mean, don't make it complicated, but why? Why? Why in the world does that work? I mean, what's going on right here and now in the room? There's, there's a real simple understanding. I mean, you don't have to be a, a, a rocket scientist to understand it, but right now the light is basically winning. Because that light is being released, it's winning. If it weren't winning, it would be dark in here. And if for some reason everything that we know is to be true were to be uh, uh, re released from its requirement to function and operate as true, and darkness could win against the light, it would go dark in here. But we have this as a truth established by God. And we have this as a promise in the scripture. I want to give this to you out of the Gospel of John. And this could be the most exciting news you hear all day. John chapter 1 verse 5. John chapter 1 verse 5. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot win. Some of your translations may say the darkness does not or cannot overcome it. So if I'm paraphrasing that verse and I'm keeping it real short, it's like this. Light wins. Light wins. So when we live our lives in such a way that that one thing that will always win over darkness is released through our words and released through our actions, then the people who are suffering affliction from the things that are dark will get a taste of victory. How many of you know what that feels like or what that tastes like? I can tell you in my life there were bondages and afflictions that I hated, that I knew were destroying me, and I wanted them out of my life so bad, but I couldn't shake it. And then I got a taste of light. And it changed me forever. Something incredible happened when I got a glimpse of that victory, when I got to feel that victory, when I became aware of that victory. And, and it happens to every person. In fact, I'll give you a passage of scripture that I find really encouraging. Uh, it's Ephesians. It begins in chapter 5. I want to look at verses 8 through however far we go. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. Now no matter how good you believe that you are, I'm a good person. It doesn't matter to me how good you think you are. The first words of this passage are true. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. You were formerly darkness. I mean, you can take those words and, and, and just look at those first few words and realize the weight behind them. Not you were formerly in the dark. Not, you know, hey, you were formerly over there where it wasn't very light. But you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore now walk as children of the light. 
And then it goes on to describe what light should look like. It says the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then I love the word trying in verse 10. Do you see that, trying? Will you just say trying for me? Trying. I mean, I I wanted to hear you say it because I want to emphasize that word. This is revealing of how merciful God is and how gracious He is to us as we live out our lives as believers. I mean... We're meant to be in pursuit of these things. When I became a Christian, I didn't receive the the full understanding of why God was doing what he was doing or how it was going to come to pass. In fact, it was a really terrifying thing. What I knew was that death was over there and, and that death was not over there. I had no idea the wonders of life and all the goodness and the things that would come. I had no clue, but all I knew is I didn't want to go that way anymore. And then upon stepping into the life as God is faithful and reveals by His grace the wonders of His goodness and His favor, growth and maturity take place. And we go from being the baby Christians that we were to the mature believers. And there's an incredible thing that happens throughout that process. We grow. We mature. We come into a realization of the things that God has poured out into our lives. Now, you need to understand something. No Christian becomes a better Christian. You're as Christian as you're ever going to get when you're born again. But we begin to separate from the things that were leading to death and destruction and embrace the things that lead to life and growth and maturity take place. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So trying, in verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful to even speak of those things which are done in secret. But the things become visible when they are exposed by the light. And everything that becomes visible is light. What that means is all of that garbage, when it's put under the light of Jesus Christ, becomes light itself. That means it becomes a testimony. I can tell you every dirty, unclean, nasty thing I've ever done in my life because I'm not ashamed of it. It now testifies of how good God is and how powerful His grace is. He has delivered and set me free from things that I thought could could never be broken. Those things that were once darkness have been exposed by light and now they become light. I remember, excuse me, the first time I read that passage, I was a new believer I'd just been set free from some really nasty addictions. And, and for the first time in my life was free. And I remember the feeling. It was, it was such a liberated feeling. and a, 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 a feeling as if weight had been lifted off and all of these. You hear people describe it and, and they do their best. I do my best, but you really can't. And I was so happy that it kind of made people miserable around me. It was really, it was, it was bizarre. I remember... One of my family members was like, oh my God, here he comes again. One of those Christians that just makes you sick. I remember him saying that. And I thought, get used to it, buddy. And, and I remember reading this passage. I was so giddy and, and just, I mean, it, the words for the first time ever were, were, were coming off the page. They were coming to life as I was reading it. And I read that and I realized, oh man, everything that I've ever done has the power to be my testimony if I'll expose it to the light. 
So, I mean, I, I was a young, I'm not saying that this is something people should do. I'm just saying this was what I thought. I, 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 mean, I just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call my mom and I'm going to tell her everything I've ever done, ever. And I think I picked her because I just thought, well, who's the person you'd least like to know, you know? I mean, sometimes when we go to confess our sins, we find somebody that's like, you know, we'll go visit a church out of state and talk to that pastor and be like, hey, listen, I need to talk, I, I did something, you know. And then we drive 1,500 miles back home and we feel like we've purged ourselves of that which was unclean, you know. I just thought, well, who, who would be the, what's the most, the most embarrassing person for me to tell this stuff to? And I'm going to call that person. Now you know why I was a, one of those Christians that makes you sick, you know. Let's pick up the phone. Hey, Mom. Hey, listen, you got a second? Okay, hey, listen, I want to tell you some stuff that I've done. I've done this. I've done that. I didn't do that, but I really wanted to, and I tried really hard. Uh, I, I did this, and I did that, and I've done that for a long time. I think you guys knew about that one, but I just wanted to let you know. And then there was, the, and I mean, I went down a list. It was so quiet on the other end of the phone. I mean, quiet. And I got done, and I remember thinking, like, hello, are you there? And, and what I heard was this kind of slow, son, you know you don't have to tell everyone that, right? <laughs> and you know what I told her? Yeah, I know, but I can. I want you to hear that. Yeah, I know, I don't have to tell everyone that, but I can. It's no longer in control of me. It's no longer holding me under the, its boot heel of shame. I can tell everyone all of that because it's now light. That's the power of light. When people in this community get a taste of that, they'll be drawn to God to glorify God. And the light that we carry is meant to be revealed in our words and actions in such a way. We need to pray, God, show me what is such a way. Teach me what such a way means for me so that I can live out that passage of Scripture, so that I can walk in that freedom that you've called me to walk in. And when people see that, they'll be so drawn to you, they won't be able to help but say, hey, what makes you so different? What do you got that I don't have because I need it? Light. Light. So this is an interesting thing, okay? I mean, I, I, you could just end the message there, and it'd probably be like, wow, that was a short one, you know? And that'd be kind of cool, right? I'm glad nobody amen that. I love you so much. But just a little test to see if we pass, because, I mean, now listen, this isn't meant to bring any kind of condemnation ever. It's just something that would be good. It's, it's just interesting. Uh, I, I kind of call it the light test. The light test, if you want to... You know, am I walking in the light? Because remember, it's that light. If Let your light shine in such a way that men see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I want to know, is there light in me to shine in such a way? Because what good is it if I'm praying, Father, show me what such a way is if I don't have any light to let shine in such a way, okay? So let's get filled up with light. Let's check ourselves. Evaluate the tank of light in your life to see if it's on full or if it's on empty. So I call this the light test, okay? And let me tell you something. I, I can fail this test in a heartbeat. 
So, so don't be embarrassed if, if you don't pass with flying colors. I refer to this as the light test, and it's just, it's just, you know, it's not doctrine. We're not putting this as, you know, one of the pillars of the church or anything like that. But it's just interesting. Uh, Philippians, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I want to look at verses 14 through, you know, maybe 16, something like that. Philippians chapter 2, so let's just, let's just take this on as, as the light test to see, you know, if the, could this be something that's revealing to me one way or the other? Philippians chapter 2, let's look at verses 14 and 15. Do all things, did you hear all things? I mean all things, all things, that means there's nothing excluded. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that, okay, you saw so that, right? So here comes, it's cause and effect. Cause, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that, now here comes the effect, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. So I read that forward and I just think, man, that's really awesome. It's got a lot of descriptive words, and it's got a lot of content in it, and I can read it backwards, and I can just see that the appearance of being light in the world comes back through all of these things, proving innocence and children of God, and then it starts with doing everything without grumbling or disputing. <clears throat> Don't you think it's interesting that there are so many attempts to bring grumbling and disputing into your life? If you had the call and the anointing to function as the light of the world and that light had the, the power to win over all darkness and draw men into a place of glorifying God and I were your enemy and if I could get you to grumble and dispute that light would dim, I would be stirring some serious strife. I would be trying to make everyone complain about everything. I would be trying to make everyone dispute about everything. I would be trying to stir the hornet's nest of grumbling and dispute to see light diminish in the church so that people would not be drawn to God through that victory, but rather they could sit in darkness undisturbed. It kind of makes me want to, to stop grumbling. It kind of makes me want to quit disputing. No matter what, even if I'm right and you're wrong, let's not fight about it. Because that will make our light grow dim and all of those things which we're called to do that draw men unto God to glorify his name. The calling, the anointing, the commission that is upon us is affected in a negative way when we fuss. So let's grow up and let's quit fussing. My wife is staring daggers at me. I'm preaching to me, babe. I almost amen myself. <laughs> so <clears throat> I want to move quickly. There's something that I want to see take place. <clears throat> I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture because they have to do with light. Light in your life, in your body. And your body is a big deal, by the way. For some reason, we... we kind of check out of our body and, and, you know, we think we're being spiritual if we don't think it. But God, God made our body and he loves our body. He loves your body so much he's going to raise it up, right? I mean, your, your body is important. 
So this has to do with your, your, yourself here on the earth. It has to do with all of you, actually. But I'll give you a passage of scripture concerning light. I mean, if you need a headline or something, it can be how to, how to be filled with light. Let's just say you, you ran the light test back there and you realize, you know what, I, I kind of complain a lot. I grumble a lot. I'm very interested in winning arguments and I dispute a lot. I fuss a lot. So how do I get light into my life? I mean, I want to give you this out of Luke, and I, I want to read it, but I hope that this, just the Holy Spirit reveals to you some things in here. I mean, for some of us, it'll involve some conviction. We'll realize, oh, my gosh, I need to make some changes, and then just be happy to make those changes, knowing that God will do great things, you know. And for others, it might, it might explain some things. For others, it's a, a word of encouragement and a reminder. But Luke chapter 11, we'll read three passages of Scripture, uh, verses 33 through 36. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Now Jesus again is talking about light. and He's saying nobody ignites a light. No one kindles the flame on a lamp. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it away in a cellar or under a basket. But rather they put it on a lampstand or a pedestal so that those who enter may see the light or so they might see because of the light. He goes on to say this, and he's talking about you and your life. He says, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, the whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body will be full of darkness. So watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, then it will wholly it will be wholly illuminated as when a lamp illumines with its rays. It's interesting, isn't it? It's worth thinking about. What we look at is important, what we turn our eye to. Once again, when you see some of these things, it can become uh, easily understood why some of the schemes from our enemy are what they are, to attempt to corrupt or defile the eye. There's the things that we watch on television or the huge uh, massive filth on the internet and all of that garbage. The things that we take in through the eye ought to be monitored very carefully. It affects the amount of light that can function and flow and exist in a person's life. I mean, again, the word that the scripture uses often is defilement. We're not talking about something that is going to, to bring on uh, some massive wrath, what we're talking about is something that's going to hinder one's ability to function and operate in the anointing that God paid the highest price to bring into their life. When God has called you to function like a Ferrari and we're putting around like a whatever you want to call it, I don't want to name a car because some of you might be like, hey, I drive one of those. <laughs> but we're called to function and operate just like Jesus. Walking free of defilement, making room for light to enter in and then flow out. According to the words of Jesus, keeping care of what we put in through the eye is important. And then there's something that I think needs to happen in every believer's life. I mean, you know, one of the things that we stand on at Champions, we, we have, if you've ever read the vision statement online or anything like that, and, and I don't want to ask how many of you have because it's probably not a lot of hands that will go up, but I would encourage you to. You'll see a passage out of Luke, chapter 4. 
And Jesus is speaking in Luke, and he, he's, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's come out of the wilderness where he's, he's overcome temptation. And, and by the way, that's actually a really big deal that that happened. And he goes into the synagogue, and they, it's his time to read, and they present him with the scroll from Isaiah, and he begins to read, and he begins to read from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because. I mean, you can stop there. It's, so what you're about to hear is the entire reason why anyone is anointed with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. And you can insert yourself there. I can make that same declaration. You can make that same declaration. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. Because he has anointed me to proclaim release to the captives. Because he has anointed me to give sight to the blind. Because he has anointed me to bring relief to the oppressed. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the favor of our God. It's awesome. There's five things there. So basically what Jesus is saying is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring five things into the earth. Now I don't know about you, but if Jesus has the Holy Ghost poured out upon his life to bring five things, I want all five. I don't want two of them. I don't want to decide, well, I'll stretch and I'll accept three of them. I want all five of those things flowing up. I want to know what they are. I want to be able to say, I know that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one, and they're all part of my testimony. He set me free from that. He imparted that. He delivered me from that. I no longer feel that, and now I walk in that. I want those things. And there's one of these things that I, I thought was really interesting that it's on this list. I mean, how many people do you think Jesus Christ not did minister to, but has ministered to in 2,000 years? Whether directly, whether it was Him walking the earth three years in ministry, or whether by His Spirit through the body of Christ, the church on the earth, how many people do you think have been ministered to by the light of life that is Jesus Christ? I mean, billions, right? Billions. Were they all blind? No, some of them could see. But yet on this list of these five things, sight to the blind is one of the things the Holy Spirit has anointed him to walk in. Now, it doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me because I'm supposed to cleanse lepers. And I'm supposed to make the lame walk. And I'm supposed to heal the blind. So we can't just say, well, he healed blind people, so that's what that means. Well, he cleansed lepers, and that's not on that list of five things. He, he freed them from their oppression. He released them from their captivity. But sight to the blind does not require that we lose our eyesight in order for Jesus to give us our eyesight back. But yet sight for the blind is one of the things that Jesus Christ brings into the life of every single believer. I remember when that happened. I mean, it, some of you maybe have heard the story because I've, I've, I know I've told it before. But I was in a church service. They had special church services at the beginning of the year. They called them Zion services. And, and it was a week of, of prayer and fasting and church services. I mean, they were, they were really great. And they actually really wanted to seek God. They didn't just do them because. In fact, one year, the, the pastor, everybody was really happy about this because the pastor came and he stood and he said, this year we've, we've heard from the Lord. We are going to have Zion, but it's not fasting. It's feasting. And everybody got real pumped about that. 
Because, you know, I mean, you tell a bunch of Texans that they're going to be fasting on Super Bowl Sunday, and you, you can lose some popularity contests, right? So they had these services, and I remember, the, you know, they, oh, it was great. I was a new believer again. I mean, I, I had barely been a Christian. So, again, just that, uh, that zeal and excitement for all the things that God had delivered me from were so fresh. And I'm standing in those services, and the worship was incredible, and it was just wonderful uh, a time of ministry. And, and the pastor's son, who I'd never, ever, ever seen him speak publicly before or, or teach or preach, he, he came and he, he took the microphone, and he just said, I don't normally do this, you know. And you know how awkward it is when people don't normally use a microphone, you know, and they kind of like, it's just weird. I don't normally do this. And he went on to tell the story. He said, hey, listen, I was just out doing my normal business. I, I was at the bank in the drive-thru. And, and, and as I put the, the stuff in the, the little thing, you know, and to, I'm just sitting there, and, and, and God spoke to me. And he said he was going to do something tonight at the service. And he said he was going to heal people's eyes. And then he said this, right? I mean, get ready for a laugh. He said, does anyone here wear contacts or glasses? <laughs> and, and I mean, like, three quarters of the church, got, this is a big church. we got 5,000 people in the room. Three quarters of them get up and you can't even get to the front because everyone's just kind of... And by the time it got to the back, people weren't even going to the aisles. They're just standing up by their seat because they can't go anywhere. I mean, everybody's needing to go to the front. And so, you know, normally they would call people and there would be ministry with the laying on of hands, which is very biblical. We do it here, and I can tell you why we do it. They do all of those things, and they were normally going to do all that. There were so many people, what they decided to do was, listen, we just need to, like, just, just you know, pray and ask God to do something this just isn't going to work, you know. And so they did. And I remember, I mean, I, keep in mind, young Christian, super excited and had just read things for the first time. And they meant something to me. And I read about people that pushed and shoved to get to Jesus. And I've read about people who, who, who would have crawled under the seats or who would have torn a hole in the roof and lowered themselves down like Spider-Man <laughs> just to get there. And so I'm thinking, I can't just stand here. And I start to push and push and wade into the crowd. And I'm thinking, you know, I, this is happening to me tonight. I'm going to receive this. I've been told since I was a kid that my eyes were bad. I mean, I've been told I was blind. And I remember I had these big lenses in my eyes. And I'm taking them out and throwing them down on the ground. And I'm pushing through the crowd. And I finally get to where I can't move any further before they say, everybody stop. And they release their prayer. And so I just stand there and I lift my hands to receive and surrender with sincerity and faith. I mean, I've pushed through the crowd. I've taken out my lenses and this, I won't need these anymore. Hallelujah. And then they pray. And I just remember hearing, amen, amen, amen. Just echoed through. And I'm looking around. nothing nothing's different and we're turning around and people are going back to their seat and I'm like hey watch your step man my contacts are over there you got you want to you know help me find that and I go back to my seat and I just sit down and they start the service and I'm thinking I mean give me a little slack okay I'm thinking what the heck what did I do wrong that's a burden a lot of Christians will fall into you know 
And then I heard something in my, my heart, like right here in my spirit, man, I just heard, I'm healing your eyes. So I kind of blink, you know. Well, I can't tell. And for several days, I would just hear that as I would pray, I'm healing your eyes. I'm healing your eyes. I'm healing your eyes. I'm healing your eyes. And something began to happen. Now you can say it's because I'd become a Christian and so now old things had passed away and new things had come and all that. You can say all of that. But I, I actually believe that this was something that God did in that moment. It's a personal belief that God was healing my eyes. All of the sudden I found myself being deeply convicted by things that I saw that never convicted me before. I remember the next time I walked through the, the mall, it was like, can't walk past that store, you know, and you're running into people. Oh, sorry, pardon me, I'm a Christian. I can't look at that 80-foot naked woman over there by Victoria's Secret. So, you know, and you, you, I just all of a sudden things that I used to didn't bother me started to bother me. And I really believe God's healing my eyes. And then this is the awesome thing, because it's months later. I have an eye doctor appointment. And I go and I sit down in the chair, you know, and they're like, this one, this one. And you're like, wait, can you do that again? Oh. This one, this one. Uh, they're the same. You get nervous, you know. I hate that. We go through all the eye appointment and stuff, and he, you know, does that thing where he kind of kicks his chair and rolls back and gets his stuff. He writes his and you're still sitting in that chair like you're about to be waterboarded. And you look over at him and you're like, so what do you think? I've never heard this in my life. He said, your eyes are perfect. He said that. He said, your eyes are perfect. He said, I want to give you maybe a light contact prescription just to help you read at night or something. But your eyes are perfect. In fact, one of them is better than perfect. I just kind of sat there in the seat and thought, he's healing my eyes. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of the, the Bible. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be closing very quickly. Mark chapter 8. I want to look at verses 22 through 25. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Now Jesus and the disciples are on the move. They're traveling and it says, and they came... To a place, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Now, I, I like that. I mean, I want to just stop there for a second because I think this would have been me, actually. If I would have been walking with Jesus, I would have been looking for people who were sick or injured or blind or deaf or lame or something. I would have been bringing them to Jesus because I just would have thought it was so cool to watch what happened. You know, it doesn't say that the guy called out to Jesus. It doesn't say that Jesus saw him. It says they were traveling and they brought this guy to Jesus. Like, hey, do another one. We love it when you do that thing. We want to see it. I mean, I, there's nothing like it. Cable ain't got nothing on you. So they bring him this blind guy and they implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him up out of the village. And after spitting on his eye and laying hands on him. Now, we do lay on hands, but I've rarely spit on people. So, okay. He said, do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said, I see men. For I see them like trees walking around. And then again, 
Jesus laid his hands on his eyes. And the man looked intently. And he was restored and began to see everything clearly. Now, I read that passage of Scripture and I think, now that's weird. I mean, did Jesus have an off go in that little ministry session? Maybe he was distracted. Maybe he knew the Cowboys and the Eagles were fighting for the NFC East tonight at 7.30 on NBC. (laughs) You know you're going to watch. So maybe he was a little distracted, and it was just kind of like, you know, God, heal this guy. Wait, I need to take this seriously. Come here. I'm sorry about that. Let's do this again. I guarantee you that's not the case. But you see Jesus intently minister something intentional. This man is the only man on the face of the earth in this moment. Between Jesus and him, there's no division in the love or the affection that God has for this man. And the full measure of God's love is released into this man's life from the first laying on of hands. And he says, do you see anything? And the man says, I see. I see men walking around like trees. Well, here's a few passages of scripture for your notes. Isaiah 55, 12, Psalm 1, 3, Matthew 7, Isaiah 61, 3. And those are all just a few. Where in the scripture, men are referred to as trees. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. Blessed is that man he will be planted as a tree planted beside the river. A tree is known by its fruit. They shall be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Jesus did something to that man spiritually in that first laying on of hands. It wasn't a dud. It wasn't fire one. Well, we missed. Let's adjust and try this again. Here we go. He did something in the man's spirit, opening up his eyes to see as God sees. And then laying on hands a second time, he opened up his eyes. And according to the scripture, the man was restored, meaning he got his sight back. And then look at this third thing. Upon having his spiritual eyes open and his physical eyes healed, then this third thing, and he began to see everything. Say everything. Everything. Clearly. Yeah. I believe with all of my heart that night God healed my eyes. The things that I wasn't bothered by began to be bothered by. The things that I once couldn't see for I was blind to it, I began to see just like Jesus came to give sight to the blind. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he did that for me. And then as a bonus, he healed my physical eyes. And for the first time in my life, a doctor said, your eyes are perfect. So I mentioned before we're going to find out what every Christian needs to know in order to know the power of God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to close with this. We're going to look at several passages, 15 through 19. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. Now Paul is speaking here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is ministering as if Jesus himself were ministering to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing, and he's saying, For this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all of the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Now here's verse 18. And I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that, will you hear that so that right there? Cause and effect. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, the inheritance of the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward or through or in us who believe. I want my eyes opened. We used to sing that song. You remember the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Unless you know that passage of scripture and the power behind that statement, it's just a cheesy Christian song. But to come into that understanding of what happens when the eyes of our inner man are opened is powerful. And I believe that if the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus to open the eyes of the blind, it's for every single one of us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.